The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I am delighted to welcome Corey Costanzo. Corey grew up around food in his father's pizzeria in Brooklyn, New York, and started cooking professionally at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. He has a master's degree in clinical psychology and currently co-runs a marvelous, innovative cooking program for youth at risk called Kids at Work, based in Asheville, North Carolina. I met Corey at a Kellogg Food and Community meeting, and I was so impressed with his work and his background, blending his clinical psychology background with food and improving the lives of youth at risk. So, Corey, welcome. Thanks so much, Melinda. It's great to be here. You have an interesting background, and in fact, I love one of the things that you say in your bio. You say, well, growing up in a mafia-ridden neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York, has you well-positioned to understand the challenges that plague today's youth who are most at risk for incarceration. And your way of helping these at-risk youth is through food. And how did you make the leap from clinical psychology to food as therapy? Yeah, well... I found myself working at a day treatment center for at-risk youth that have gotten kicked out of school and in trouble with the law. And the executive director knew that I had a background in food. So when she approached oh. me with this interesting project, um, it was it was just a perfect fit. She actually just handed to me a two-page document that was the first two years of funding. So she handed me the grant letter of approval and said, hey, we just got funding for two years to work with at-risk youth through food. Is this something that you're interested in? I looked at her and I shook my head yes, and I said, I'll make it happen. And that was about four years ago, and the program's going strong. We just got our fourth year funding, and we hope to bring the program national and create a model of what, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me, your program, and our listeners can read more about it online at aspireyouthandfamily.com, but you're basically reaching at-risk youth, and somehow food is being transformative, and you're seeing results that might not be achieved through other means. That's right. Why is that? Well... First, I want to define at-risk youth, just for those who have never really understood that term, because, I mean, if you really think about it, most youth nowadays are at risk. So the way we define it is as defined by the North Carolina Department of Juvenile Justice, which basically say that if a teenager has had a court complaint or a charge filed, has run away from home for 24 or more hours, has used drugs or alcohol in the past 12 months, has school behavior problems, general academic functioning below grade level, or negative peer relationships, gang-identified, or associates with gang-identified peers, or is rejected by pro-social peers, 
if there's been conflict in the home in the past 12 months or substance abuse by household members or family criminality or if they've grown up in a depressed socioeconomic place like public housing or a depressed neighborhood, then I consider them at risk and they're welcome to join our program. So basically, once I identify that a teen is at risk, we let food do the work. We let food do the counseling. So most of the time, I'll just hang back and just let the whole process of preparing a meal, nurturing their peers and nurturing themselves and learning how to cook, and then eating the food. You know, I'll let that do the work. And it's amazing how much these kids are opening up once they start eating good food, once they start feeling the power of nourishing somebody else and nourishing themselves, they just start laying all their cards out on the table and then the kids are actually counseling one another. It's a really beautiful way to reach teenagers. It's it's kind of like doing Jedi counseling because most of the time the teens aren't even realizing that there's any counseling being done. Mm. That's a marvelous model. So... We should let our listeners know you're reaching students who are 12 to 17 years old. Yeah. They come from the high-risk background. And right. I agree with you. I think that many youth today, because of our economy and because of the challenges, I think media in itself, this bombardment of violent media, puts all of us at risk. Yeah. And then there are just family issues that kids have to face. And I wonder how many of these kids do you think typically have family meals to begin with? Well, I would say, and I poll them all the time, one of the first questions I ask is, how many days a week do you eat with your family? And it's one of our measurements that we try to increase. So we actually work with the teens. We also work with the families. We send leftovers home with the teens. We'll go to like the local food bank and we'll get grocery bags of food and then send grocery bags of food home with the teens with a recipe in it and encourage the parents to cook with the kids and to eat with the kids together. So, you know, I would say about 30 to 40% of our teens are eating at home a couple of times a week with their families. Most of our teens, actually, their families want to eat together they just don't have the time to eat together. And, you know, if they're coming from a single-parent household, mom's coming home late from work, you know, dad might not be in the home or dad's working late and, you know, they only wind up actually eating together one or two days a week. Mm-hmm. And in terms of food quality, do you do an assessment before they start with the program? Like, what are you eating at home or what are you eating at school? We do, yeah. We do do an assessment. And many times, kids won't be into vegetables at all when they first come to our program. And then they'll say things like, we've heard quotes like, these vegetables are really good, but don't tell anyone I said that. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, are these collard greens? Normally, they come in a can. Yeah. Um, One student said, I've eaten more vegetables in this one class than I have in my entire life. So we do measure what their nutritional intake is. Like we measure the amount of soda that they drink in a day, the amount of water that they drink, the number of times a week that they eat fast food, number of times a week that that they prepare food for themselves or their families at home, and the number of times a week that they eat a meal together with their family. And then we try to have those measurables increased by the end of the program. 
All right. So let's describe the program. So you've recru- yeah. how do you recruit the students? We get our referrals from court counselors. We get them from local therapists, school counselors. Some of our kids come self-referred. Some parents refer refer their kids. And, yeah, that's mainly how, how you, kids come to us. Do you have more kids that want to participate than you've got space for? Sometimes we'll be working on a waiting list, but it kind of ebbs and flows. We we run four groups. Each group has a maximum of ten students. So there's Monday through Thursday, and each day we run two groups. And we have a during-school group and an after-school group. And you've got, I see a review of this program, 46 cooking classes and 115 hours of instruction. That's right. So each kid gets to be in the program for about six months, and they officially graduate our program once they reach 46 cooking classes. Each cooking class is about two and a half hours long, and then there's there's also transportation that we provide. So most of my counseling one-on-one is actually done in the van when we're when we're doing transport. <sighs> you know, once again, the kids aren't aren't even realizing that it's counseling just because it's it's kind of like just having a conversation, you know. And I just slip in some reflective questions every now and again, and 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 you know, have the kids really take a look at the consequences of the choices that that they've been making. And we base that number off of this project called the Lipsy Howell Project, which was some research that was done that says if you really want to help a teenager, they need to be in your program for either 17 weeks or more or 46 times. Anything less than that, it's not going to stick. But if if you reach that number, you know the research the research shows that you're going to make a difference in the kids' lives, and I'm seeing it through our program. Now, how many years have you been doing this? So we're in our fourth year of funding right now. So I've been doing I so, so I've done it for about three full years now, and we have worked with over 200 kids, and there have been about about a hundred kids have actually graduated our program. So about a hundred of them went through the entire program. Now, have you followed them the first class? Have they been followed? We that's right. We do follow we do follow kids. And you know, I get I get calls all the time. Kids will come back and visit us and cook with us. Kids are very quick to let me know what's going on, what's going on with their with their lives. I just got a phone call from a kid um, that decided to join the Coast Guard, um, and he you know he was almost done with basic training. He had a one day leave pass, so he had 24 hours that he could leave and. It, within those 24 hours, he decided to call me and let me know how great he was doing and that he was he was thinking about going to culinary school after he was done with, with basic training. Wow. Well, one of the things your program does is it prepares students that might not be employable to a worthwhile and noble profession of food preparation. Right. And I'm wondering, you know, especially for the 17-year-olds who are at this graduation age, and they're going out into the real world. How many of them are working now in the restaurant or food industry? We've got a good number of our of our of our students that once they leave our program, they'll wind up working in food service. Most kids, their first job 
will be in food service. And unfortunately, most of those kids wind up having their first job in fast food right. because they don't have any references and they don't have any skills. And, you know, fast food is uh, not the best working environment and it's just not the best way to be be introduced to food service. So what what we try to do is give them the skills and the ability to have job references so that when it comes time for them to apply for their first job, they'll know what they're doing, they'll have confidence that they can do the work, and they'll wind up landing that first job at a real at a real restaurant. With higher quality food, I would hope. With, high, with higher quality food, exactly. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Corey Costanzo. He is a clinical psychologist. He is the program coordinator for Kids at Work, Empowering At-Risk Youth Through the Culinary Arts. I am really intrigued, though, with this connection between improving psychological health through food. I mean, I get the nutrient component. I mean, being a dietitian, I understand how eating well makes us feel better. When we're yeah. well-nourished, we... You know, all systems go. We're right. we're at our best and greatest potential. But what I don't understand is how food is really transformative at a psychological level. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I, I would absolutely agree with you, but how does that work exactly? Well, I'm also an addictions counselor, and the current thinking in the addictions world is that it's really about about the release of dopamine that um, that drives an addict to use, and most of that dopamine will will happen from reward circuitry in the brain. You know, so an addict thinks about getting high, and and boom, they get they get a dopamine blast, and then they go and they get high, and then you know whatever consequences happen, you know, after after that, pretty much don't really matter because the next time they think about it they'll get that dopamine blast and that'll drive their behavior. So what we find is that kids they might come to us after their day of school, they might be in a in a sluggish mood, they might, you know, have some drama going on in their lives. They start cooking and automatically automatically their the way I see it, their 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 brains are releasing pleasurable chemicals, serotonin and 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 um you know oxytocin and and, and other pleasurable chemicals that are released when we're doing something meaningful, when we're actually engaged in something that has our attention and doing something meaningful. Then they sit down, and we sit down together. And rather than give a blessing on the food, what we do is is we give one another appreciations. Research shows that when we appreciate one another or ourselves, there's pleasurable chemicals that are being released in our bodies. So then they start eating the food, and we only serve whole foods. You know, we only serve um, good food, food that's nutritious and um, you know good for someone's body. So now you got the release of chemicals, uh, pleasurable chemicals, from eating good food, and and that whole reward circuitry is in motion. But it's in motion for 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 doing something positive in their lives. So it keeps them coming back. It keeps them coming back to the program. It keeps them coming back to food. And what I think is happening on a subconscious level is their body realizes that 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 they're doing something positive, that 
They're nourishing themselves and, and one another. And it's like clockwork. Every single class, there's a magical quality in the group that happens during the meal time, where um, the way I see it is is their is their um, their parasympathetic nervous system gets gets engaged. So they're not in that fight or flight cortisol releasing stress mode you know that they may have been before they came to cook now they're in more of a relaxed mode so they start opening up with their with their problems and issues they start being kinder to one another they start smiling more and on a deep level they know that they're safe and and they and they want more of it and 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 that's what i think why we're we're finding so much success with the teens i'm not telling them to do it they're getting it through the experience. So then they report back to us that they're now cooking on the weekends with, with, for themselves and their friends and their girlfriends and their boyfriends and their families. And I've, I've gotten phone calls on a Friday night. I got a phone call from a kid who was court-referred, mixed up with the gangs. He calls me on a Friday night saying, Hey, Corey, I'm in the supermarket right now. What's that brown-looking ingredient that goes in the Chinese stir-fry that makes it taste so good? Oh. oh, you mean soy sauce? He's like, yeah, I'm looking for that. I can't find it. I say, go to the international section. Who are you with? I'm with mom right now. I'm going to cook her dinner tonight. <laughs> that is so heartwarming. Yeah. You know what else I think too might be going yeah. on is I think that at least, and you understand whole the gang psychology a lot better than I, but I think from what I understand, there's this attraction to you know people want relationships and. It's hard to leave a group because that's those that's where your relationships are. But you are allowing the students to create relationships with new safe people in a healthy environment and overdoing something that, in my opinion, cooking is a survival skill. You know, if you know how to cook for yourself, then that's a big step. You don't have to depend on somebody else to do that's it. That's right. Now, when you do some follow-ups with the students – your survey questions that you ask, what kind of responses are you getting from the kids at the end of the program that yeah. differ from the beginning? Great, great, great question. One other thing that we, that, that, that we measure are protective factors. So protective factors is a factor that reduces the risk that a teen has for future offending. So we measure, also we measure positive adult supports, positive peer supports, and rewards their pro-social behavior towards themselves, their family, their community, friends, school peers, and the environment. So research shows that a teen will lower their, their risk of incarceration the more positive adults, adult supports they have, the more positive peer supports that they have, and the more that they exhibit pro-social behavior. So we try to increase all those supports for the kids, and we're finding an overwhelming, I mean, a ridiculously high number of our students. I mean, almost 100, 100% of our students that go through the program are increasing the protective factors that are going to keep them out of jail. Wow. Do you see changes in empathy? I do see changes in empathy, and the way I see it is, is once again, through the experiential model. So I welcome conflict, and we tell the kids when we intake them into the program, we walk with fire and we play with knives. 
and well, actually, we walk with knives and we play with fire, <laughs> and 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 there's going to be conflict in the kitchen. Conflict will arise in the kitchen, and here's where the counseling bit comes in because then I help the kids to identify in the beginning what are your strategies right now dealing with conflict. Most often, it's fighting, you know, or uh, or yeah, fighting or running away, and and there's that fight, flight, or freeze response again. So I tell the kids, listen, if you want to be in this program, you're going to need to stay with the process. Can you promise me that? Yeah, sure, I promise you that. So then when when the conflict arises in the kitchen, when the drama arises in the kitchen, that's the most useful opportunity for the kids to experience a different way of dealing with conflict. And it works. I can imagine that some of your funders or reviewers may have been really concerned about the safety issue. As you mentioned, you're walking with knives and playing with fire. And yet in one of the presentations you gave, you said that there's never been, you've got a proven track record of safety. So in, well, this presentation was after two years that you've never had a conflict where there was violence or, or physical harm. That's right. We've never we've never had any kind of safety issue that has seriously threatened anybody in our in our program. Now, I think it's because we put boundaries and we make them sign a 13-page intensive handbook that's got clear policies regarding specific rules and expectations for the teens and for their parents. Um there's clear criteria for suspension for the program and and you know policies on smoking and drugs and weapons and violence and threats and cell phones and all that confidentiality and all that stuff. So I look at it like once we set the container and we say, hey, this is acceptable behavior and this isn't acceptable behavior, we let them know what will happen if they go outside those boundaries and we follow through with it. We also follow progressive discipline systems so that we give them a verbal warning a written warning, and then we, you know, we like to say that 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 they're fired from the program if if then you know they get the third strike, or we give up their spot to somebody else who wants to be in the program and is willing to follow the rules. And we've really only had to actually give up the spot of two people in in three years, and that's really because those kids didn't want to cook, and their parents were making them cook. Mm. Interesting. You know what else I love that you do in this program is that you teach through your actions about environmental and social awareness around food issues. So you recycle. You don't preach recycling. You recycle and then you teach about why you're doing it. And then you conserve water and you talk about water awareness. But you're teaching the children through hands-on practice. That's right. Have some of these concepts been new? Yes, a lot of the concepts have been new, like composting, for example. Once we explain composting and the beauty of composting, my God, the the kids wind up becoming a little maniacal with it. Like if the skin of an onion winds up in the trash, the kid will fish it out of the trash and be like, this needs to be composted. Oh, that's you great. Know, and, and so it's like once we really let the kids know why we recycle and why we conserve water. So we've done experiments like, you know, we'll fill a five-gallon jug of water at a rate of holding the spigot at full blast. And we'll say, when you wash the dishes, this is how much water 
you're wasting. And then we'll do the math. You know, we'll multiply it by that many households in the county. And then we'll let them know, okay, so within one night, if each household washes the dishes on full blast of water, they're using five million gallons of water. And then we'll put the uh, faucet on a really low setting. And then we'll measure the time that it takes. And we'll say if they measure, you know, if they wash the dishes in an hour with this setting, the whole county is only using 200,000 gallons of water. And, and we'll actually show them, you know, that 200,000 gallons of water. Okay, so, so you're saving about 100,000 of these five-gallon containers of water. And they'll be able to picture it. They'll see it in their minds. So we like to use the experience as a teacher. Now, you also discuss social issues at mealtime, and I think that's so important. So the music is either turned down low or off. There's no electronic devices allowed at the table. And you're having really important conversations, and I'm sure they're by design. And you talk about things like domestic violence and child abuse and the welfare system and poverty. And I don't know if anybody's recording these conversations, but I'll bet you get some powerful statements from the kids as well as revelations. Oh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And, you know, we just, we'll just throw a concept out there, teen pregnancy or, you know, um, underage or binge drinking, drug use, and we'll just float a concept out there and then the kids will just run with it and they'll start talking about their ideas and their experience and it's absolutely amazing. You know, every second of that dinner conversation is very gently guided in a way that the kids are talking about real issues. And that's when the kids start doing most of their disclosing. And, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing, the stuff that the kids are disclosing. And then, you know, once once kids start talking about this stuff, it's kind of like naming the elephant in the room. Yes. You know, that's that's really where the visible transformation comes from. It's from them just talking about their experiences, making sense of their lives. Right. And then the kids also have a local soup kitchen experience where they're feeding others, and they describe that. Well, we just have one minute. Is there anything that you would like to share about this program that I didn't bring out with my questions? Yeah, I'd like to share our collaboration with University of North Carolina at Asheville. So uh, we... We landed a sweet kitchen space um, at the University of North Carolina at, at, at Asheville, and, and we've actually uh, forged partnerships with the Health and Wellness Department and with the North Carolina Center for Health and Wellness. So we actually have, we're working with college students and with college professors. So we have college students, um, you know, volunteering in our program. We're doing social advocacy work along with college students, so our high school students are not only cooking at the college, but they're being exposed to university life and how college students think and how they how they live their lives, and it's a really wonderful experience for these kids. 
Corey, you are changing the world, and I want to commend you for your work. We've been speaking with Corey Costanzo. He is Program Coordinator for Kids at Work, Empowering At-Risk Youth Through the Culinary Arts. And I want to remind our listeners, thank you for joining us, and also remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Corey, thank you for being my guest, and thank you for being so compassionate in your work and changing the whole food system in such a kind way. Thank you, Melinda. It's been great to talk with you. Mm -hmm.